You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. We're gonna talk with the mayor, cause the mayor says he wants to have a chat. We're gonna talk with the mayor, cause the mayor says he knows where it's at. Corruption of my behalf. 
it is as intended. The intention of a man, such as like myself, I just want it to be known. When your mother says something to you, you listen. You may want the bitch to die sooner or later. I am trying to make that process and that eventuality to happen. Mother says boys who are no good never play with scarecrows in the woods. And I'm making these devices out of tin cans. Cold-baked beans, the stoves ain't working. Don't waste wallow gas you have. Construct a device that will transmit something from your subconscious quicker and much more. Much more. Intangible. My foot is on the gum, and the gum shoe is stretching out, but use that as a string device, it's better than anything on this digital shit. Cut up the words, cut up my intention. Damn, those scarecrows are looking good in the woods. Don't take baseball bats to their schools, cause you'll wake up children, and you'll realize those scarecrows, they're out to get you. They will be out and you. They have evolved. Plus, pulled out strong. You'll be nibbling at it, children. Trying to have a fix of straw or con after the mouth. Trying to fix that habit that nicotine does to you. I want you to know I am still your mayor. And as your mayor, you do as I tell you to do. Thank you, slugs. Thank you, women. Thank you, children. Thank you, you malnourished, masculine man. They can't judge me. The newspapers cannot lie. There is no lie. There is only truth. And it is my truth, my reality, which is imposed onto you. Thank you, children and slugs. I will talk to you in a future day. Editor's note, Mayor is saying slobs. You're listening to 1130 AM, Oleander Community Radio. Here's the Community Bulletin Board of what's going on this week. Thank you for listening. Oktoberfest and the Harvest Carnival are being combined into the Harvest Carnival Festival Parade at the end of the month. Hey everyone, welcome to the Oleander Book Club on 1130 AM KZOM. Hey, so this month we're going to be talking about scarecrows at first, I think. I don't know. So we're going to be talking about Scarecrows, and you know what? Let's get back into the Wizard of Oz. We did that on Black Clock Audio Tales. Let's get some more Wizard of Oz going on here. So yeah, Wizard of Oz going on this week, and probably next couple of weeks. So I hope you enjoy this. Uh, Frank L. Baum, and yeah, Scarecrow of Oz. Here we go. Recording by Phil Chenevere. 
The Scarecrow of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter One The Great Whirlpool Seems to me, said Captain Bill, as he sat beside Trot under the big acacia tree, looking out over the blue ocean, seems to me, Trot, as how the more we know, the more we find we don't know. I can't quite make that out, Captain Bill, answered the little girl in a serious voice after a moment's thought, during which her eyes followed those of the old sailor man across the glassy surface of the sea. Seems to me that all we learn is just so much gained. I know. It looks that way at first sight, said the sailor, nodding his head. But those as knows the least have a habit of thinking they know all there is to know, while them as knows the most admits what a terrible big world this is. It's the knowing ones that realize one lifetime ain't long enough to get more'n a few dips of the oars of knowledge. Trot didn't answer. She was a very little girl with big, solemn eyes and an earnest, simple manner. Cap'n Bill had been her faithful companion for years, and had taught her almost everything she knew. He was a wonderful man, this Cap'n Bill, not so very old, although his hair was grizzled, what there was of it. Most of his head was bald as an egg and shiny as oilcloth, and this made his big ears stick out in a funny way. His eyes had a gentle look and were pale blue in color, and his round face was rugged and bronzed. Cap'n Bill's left leg was missing from the knee down, and that was why the sailor no longer sailed the seas. The wooden leg he wore was good enough to stump around with on land, or even to take Trot out for a row or a sail on the ocean, but when it came to running up aloft or performing active duties on shipboard, the old sailor was not equal to the task. The loss of his leg had ruined his career, and the old sailor found comfort in devoting himself to the education and companionship of the little girl. The accident to Cap'n Bill's leg had happened at about the time Trot was born, and ever since that he had lived with Trot's mother as a star boarder, having enough money saved up to pay for his weekly keep. He loved the baby, and often held her on his lap. Her first ride was on Cap'n Bill's shoulders, for she had no baby carriage, and when she began to toddle around, the child and the sailor became close comrades, and enjoyed many strange adventures together. It is said the fairies had been present at Trot's birth, and had marked her forehead with the invisible mystic signs, so that she was able to see and do so many wonderful things. The acacia tree was on top of a high bluff, but a path ran down the bank in a zigzag way to the water's edge where Cap'n Bill's boat was moored to a rock by means of a stout cable. It had been a hot, sultry afternoon, with scarcely a breath of air stirring. So Cap'n Bill and Trot had been quietly sitting beneath the shade of the tree, waiting for the sun to get low enough for them to take a row. They had decided to visit one of the great caves which the waves had washed out of the rocky coast during many years of steady effort. 
The caves were a source of continual delight to both the girl and the sailor, who loved to explore their awesome depths. "'I believe, Captain,' remarked Trot at last, "'that it's time for us to start.' The old man cast a shrewd glance at the sky, the sea, and the motionless boat. Then he shook his head. "'Maybe it's time, Trot,' he answered. "'But I don't just like the looks of things this afternoon.' "'What's wrong?' she asked wonderingly. "'Can't say as to that. Things is too quiet to suit me, that's all. No breeze, not a ripple atop the water, nary a gull a-flyin' anywhere, and the end of the hottest day of the year. I ain't no weather prophet, Trot, but any sailor would know the signs is ominous.' "'There's nothing wrong that I can see,' said Trot. If there was a cloud in the sky even as big as my thumb, we might worry about it. But look, Captain, the sky is as clear as can be. He looked again and nodded. Perhaps we can make the cave all right, he agreed, not wishing to disappoint her. It's only a little way out, and we'll be on the watch. So come along, Trot. Together they descended the winding path to the beach. It was no trouble for the girl to keep her footing on the steep way. But Cap'n Bill, because of his wooden leg, had to hold on to rocks and roots now and then to save himself from tumbling. On a level path he was as spry as anyone, but to climb up a hill or down required some care. They reached the boat safely, and while Trot was untying the rope, Cap'n Bill reached into a crevice of the rock and drew out several tallow candles and a box of wax matches which he thrust into the capacious pockets of his sou'wester. The sou'wester was a short coat of oilskin, which the old sailor wore on all occasions, when he wore a coat at all, and the pockets always contained a variety of objects, useful and ornamental, which made even Trot wonder where they all came from, and why Cap'n Bill should treasure them. The jackknives, a big and a little one, the bits of cord, the fish-hooks, the nails, these were handy to have on certain occasions. But bits of shell and tin boxes with unknown contents, buttons, pincers, bottles of curious stones, and the like, seemed quite unnecessary to carry around. That was Captain Bill's business, however, and now that he added the candles and the matches to his collection, Trot made no comment for she knew that these were to light their way through the caves. The sailor always rowed the boat, for he handled the oars with strength and skill. Trot sat in the stern and steered. The place where they embarked was a little bight or circular bay, and the boat cut across a much larger bay toward a distant headland where the caves were located, right at the water's edge. They were nearly a mile from shore, and about halfway across the bay, when Trot suddenly sat up straight and exclaimed, "'What's that, Cap'n?' He stopped rowing, and turned half around to look. "'That, Trot,' he slowly replied, "'looks to me mightily like a whirlpool.' "'What makes it, Cap'n?' "'A whirl in the air makes the whirl in the water. I was afraid as we'd meet with trouble, Trot.' Things didn't look right. The air was too still. It's coming closer, said the girl. The old man grabbed the oars and began rowing with all his strength. 
"'Tain't coming closer to us, Trot,' he gasped. "'It's we that are coming closer to the whirlpool. The thing is drawing us to it like a magnet.' Trot's sun-bronzed face was a little paler as she grasped the tiller firmly and tried to steer the boat away, but she said not a word to indicate fear. The swirl of the water as they came nearer made a roaring sound that was fearful to listen to. So fierce and powerful was the whirlpool that it drew the surface of the sea into the form of a great basin, slanting downward toward the center, where a big hole had been made in the ocean, a hole with walls of water that were kept in place by the rapid whirling of the air. The boat in which Trot and Cap'n Bill were riding was just on the outer edge of this saucer-like slant, and the old sailor knew very well that unless he could quickly force the little craft away from the rushing current, they would soon be drawn into the great black hole that yawned in the middle. So he exerted all his might and pulled as he had never pulled before. He pulled so hard that the left oar snapped in two and sent Captain Bill sprawling upon the bottom of the boat. He scrambled up quickly enough and glanced over the side. Then he looked at Trot, who sat quite still, with a serious, far-away look in her sweet eyes. The boat was now speeding swiftly of its own accord, following the line of the circular basin round and round, and gradually drawing nearer to the great hole in the center. Any further effort to escape the whirlpool was useless, and realizing this fact, Cap'n Bill turned toward Trot and put an arm around her, as if to shield her from the awful fate before them. He did not try to speak because the roar of the waters would have drowned the sound of his voice. These two faithful comrades had faced dangers before, but nothing to equal that which now faced them. Yet Cap'n Bill, noting the look in Trot's eyes and remembering how often she had been protected by unseen powers, did not quite give way to despair. The great hole in the dark water, now growing nearer and nearer, looked very terrifying, but they were both brave enough to face it and await the result of the adventure. End of chapter 1
and so they gradually sank down and down until a full stop was made when they began to ascend again. But it seemed to Trot that they were not rising straight to the surface from where they had come. The water was no longer whirling them, and they seemed to be drawn in a slanting direction through still cool ocean depths. And then, in a much quicker time than I have told it, up they popped to the surface and were cast at full length upon a sandy beach, where they lay choking and gasping for breath and wondering what had happened to them. Trot was the first to recover. Disengaging herself from Cap'n Bill's wet embrace and sitting up, she rubbed the water from her eyes and then looked around her. A soft bluish-green glow lighted the place, which seemed to be a sort of cavern, for above and on either side of her were rugged rocks. They had been cast upon a beach of clear sand, which slanted upward from the pool of water at their feet, a pool which doubtless led into the big ocean that fed it. Above the reach of the waves of the pool were more rocks, and still more and more, into the dim windings and recesses of which the glowing light from the water did not penetrate. The place looked grim and lonely, but Trot was thankful that she was still alive and had suffered no severe injury during her trying adventure underwater. At her side, Cap'n Bill was sputtering and coughing, trying to get rid of the water he had swallowed. Both of them were soaked through, yet the cavern was warm and comfortable, and a wetting did not dismay the little girl in the least. She crawled up the slant of sand, and gathered in her hand a bunch of dried seaweed, with which she mopped the face of Cap'n Bill and cleared the water from his eyes and ears. Presently the old man sat up and stared at her intently. Then he nodded his bald head three times, and said in a gurgling voice, <clears throat> "'Mighty good, Trot, mighty good. <clears throat> we didn't reach Davy Jones' locker that time, did we? <sighs> Though why we didn't, and why we're here, is more than I can make out.' "'Take it easy, Captain,' she replied. "'We're safe enough, I guess, at least for the time being.' He squeezed the water out of the bottoms of his loose trousers, and felt of his wooden leg and arms and head, and finding he had brought all of his person with him, he gathered courage to examine closely their surroundings. "'Where do you think we are, Trot?' he presently asked. "'Can't say, Cap'n. Perhaps in one of our caves?' He shook his head. "'No,' said he. "'I don't think that at all.' The distance we came up didn't seem half as far as the distance we went down. And you'll notice there ain't any outside entrance to this cavern whatever. It's a regular dome over this pool of water, and unless there's some passage at the back up yonder, we're fast prisoners. Trot looked thoughtfully over her shoulder. When we're rested, she said, we will crawl up there and see if there's a way to get out. Cap'n Bill reached in the pocket of his oilskin coat and took out his pipe. It was still dry, for he kept it in an oilskin pouch with his tobacco. His matches were in a tight tin box, so in a few moments the old sailor was smoking contentedly. 
Trot knew it helped him to think when he was in any difficulty. Also the pipe did much to restore the old sailor's composure, after his long ducking and his terrible fright, a fright that was more on Trot's account than on his own. The sand was dry where they sat, and soaked up the water that dripped from their clothing. When Trot had squeezed the wet out of her hair she began to feel much like her old self again. By and by they got upon their feet, and crept up the incline to the scattered boulders above. Some of these were of huge size, but by passing between some and around others they were able to reach the extreme rear of the cavern. Yes, said Trot with interest, here's a round hole. And it's black as night inside it, remarked Cap'n Bill. Just the same, answered the girl. We ought to explore it and see where it goes, cause it's the only possible way we can get out of this place. Cap'n Bill lied the hole doubtfully. It may be a way out of here, Trot, he said. But it may be a way into a far worse place than this. I'm not sure, but our best plan is to stay right here. Trot wasn't sure either, when she thought of it in that light. After a while she made her way back to the sands again, and Cap'n Bill followed her. As they sat down, the child looked thoughtfully at the sailor's bulging pockets. "'How much food have we got, Cap'n?' she asked. "'Half a dozen chips biscuit and a hunk of cheese,' he replied. "'Want some now, Trot?' She shook her head, saying, "'That ought to keep us alive about three days, if we're careful of it.' "'Longer than that, Trot,' said Cap'n Bill, but his voice was a little troubled and unsteady. "'But if we stay here we're bound to starve in time,' continued the girl, "'while if we go into the dark hole—' "'Some things are more hard to face than starvation,' said the sailor-man gravely. "'We don't know what's inside that dark hole, Trot, nor where it might lead us to.' "'There's a way to find that out,' she persisted. Instead of replying, Cap'n Bill began searching in his pockets. He soon drew out a little package of fish-hooks and a long line. Trot watched him join them together. Then he crept a little way up the slope and turned over a big rock. Two or three small crabs began scurrying away over the sands, and the old sailor caught them and put one on his hook and the other in his pocket. Coming back to the pool, he swung the hook over his shoulder and circled it around his head and cast it neatly into the center of the water, where he allowed it to sink gradually, paying out the line as far as it would go. When the end was reached, he began drawing it in again until the crab bait was floating on the surface. Trot watched him cast the line a second time, and a third. She decided that either there were no fishes in the pool, or they would not bite the crab bait. But Cap'n Bill was an old fisherman and not easily discouraged. When the crab got away, he put another on the hook. When the crabs were all gone, he climbed up the rocks and found some more. Meanwhile Trot tired of watching him and lay down upon the sands, where she fell fast asleep. During the next two hours her clothing dried completely, as did that of the old sailor. They were both so used to salt water that there was no danger of taking cold. 
Finally the little girl was wakened by a splash beside her, and a grunt of satisfaction from Cap'n Bill. She opened her eyes to find that the Cap'n had landed a silver-scaled fish weighing about two pounds. This cheered her considerably, and she hurried to scrape together a heap of seaweed, while Cap'n Bill cut up the fish with his jackknife and got it ready for cooking. They had cooked fish with seaweed before. Cap'n Bill wrapped his fish in some of the weeds and dipped it in the water to dampen it. Then he lighted a match and set fire to Trot's heap, which speedily burned down to a glowing bed of ashes. Then they laid the wrapped fish on the ashes, covered it with more seaweed, and allowed this to catch fire and burn to embers. After feeding the fire with seaweed for some time, the old sailor finally decided that their supper was ready, so he scattered the ashes and drew out the bits of fish, still encased in their smoking wrappings. When these wrappings were removed, the fish was found thoroughly cooked, and both Trot and Cap'n Bill ate of it freely. It had a slight flavor of seaweed and would have been better with a sprinkling of salt. The soft glow, which until now had lighted the cavern, began to grow dim, but there was a great quantity of seaweed in the place, so after they had eaten their fish, they kept the fire alive for a time by giving it a handful of fuel now and then. From an inner pocket the old sailor drew a small flask of battered metal, and unscrewing the cap, handed it to Trot. She took but one swallow of the water, although she wanted more, and she noted that Cap'n Bill merely wet his lips with it. "'Suppose,' said she, staring at the glowing seaweed fire and speaking slowly, "'that we can catch all the fish we need. How about the drinking water, Cap'n?' He moved uneasily, but did not reply. Both of them were thinking about the dark hole, but while Trot had little fear of it, the old man could not overcome his dislike to enter the place. He knew that Trot was right, though. To remain in the cavern where they now were would only result in slow but sure death. It was night-time up on the earth's surface, so the little girl became drowsy and soon fell asleep. After a time the old sailor slumbered on the sands beside her. It was very still, and nothing disturbed them for hours. When at last they awoke, the cavern was light again. They had divided one of the biscuits and were munching it for breakfast, when they were startled by a sudden splash in the pool. Looking toward it, they saw, emerging from the water, the most curious creature either of them had ever beheld. It wasn't a fish, Trot decided, nor was it a beast. It had wings, though, and queer wings they were, shaped like an inverted chopping bowl, and covered with tough skin instead of feathers. It had four legs, much like the legs of a stork, only double the number, and its head was shaped a good deal like that of a paw parrot, with a beak that curved downward in front and upward at the edges, and was half bill and half mouth. But to call it a bird was out of the question, because it had no feathers whatever except a crest of wavy plumes of a scarlet color on the very top of its head. The strange creature must have weighed as much as Cap'n Bill, 
and as it floundered and struggled to get out of the water to the sandy beach, it was so big and unusual that both Trot and her companion stared at it in wonder, in wonder that was not unmixed with fear. End of Chapter 2 Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Oleander Book Club, hosted by me, D.B. Spitzer, and just part of one of the many shows here on 1130 AM KZOM, Oleander, Oregon. You can find out more about Oleander, Oregon by listening to our main show, which is Radio Free Oleander, hosted by me and David Heath. I do the book club episodes. David and I do these episode, other episodes together, and there's a bunch of stuff that Dave puts into the show as well. Uh, it's not just a one-man show anymore. So yeah, I hope you're enjoying it, and if you are enjoying it, why not rate, review, and subscribe to this show? Just look up Radio Free Oleander on Facebook and you'll find us. You might also look for People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We might still be under there for some reason, or uh, Oleander Oregon, or 1130 AM KZOM. Look for all that kind of stuff, you'll find us. Dave's Corner of the Universe, Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, yeah, that's all us. And... Let's not forget Black Clock Audio Tales. Yeah, we're, we're still all there. I, I have to, I don't know, merge all those Facebook groups or something. One of those things. But, you know, if you like us, rate, review, subscribe. Give us five stars. Uh, say something funny in the, in, the, in the, what do you call it, review, and I'll read it. Say something that's not mean or complimentary, and I'll read it. Because I, I'm, I'm not John Gabris. I don't want people saying mean things in my comments. I, I, have, I have serious anxiety issues. I mean, you know. Come on. Be nice. Anyway. So, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Help support the show any way you can. Go to pgttcm.com. Check out our shop. Check out the t-shirts that we've got in there. If you like something, order it. Hey, we'll set you up. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. And we'll get back to this this, uh, Scarecrow of Oz. All right. Here we go. Chapter 3 The Ark The eyes that regarded them as the creature stood dripping before them were bright and mild in expression, and the queer addition to their party made no attempt to attack them, and seemed quite as surprised by the meeting as they were. "'I wonder,' whispered Trot, "'what it is.' "'Who, me?' exclaimed the creature in a shrill, high-pitched voice. "'Why, I'm an ark!' "'Oh,' said the girl. "'But what is an ark?' "'I am,' he repeated a little proudly, as he shook the water from his funny wings. "'And if ever an ark was glad to be out of the water and on dry land again, you can be mighty sure that I'm that special individual ark.' "'Have you been in the water long?' inquired Cap'n Bill, thinking it only polite to show an interest in the strange creature. "'Why, this last ducking was almost ten minutes, I believe, and that's about nine minutes and sixty seconds too long for comfort,' was the reply. "'But last night I was in an awful pickle, I assure you. The whirlpool caught me, and—' "'Oh, you were in the whirlpool, too?' asked Trot eagerly. He gave her a glance that was somewhat reproachful. "'I believe,' 
I was mentioning the fact, young lady, when your desire to talk interrupted me," said the Ork. I am not usually careless in my actions, but that whirlpool was so busy yesterday that I thought I'd see what mischief it was up to. So I flew a little too near it, and the suction of the air drew me down into the depths of the ocean. Water and I are natural enemies, and it would have conquered me this time had not a bevy of pretty mermaids come to my assistance and dragged me away from the whirling water and far up into a cavern where they deserted me. Why, that's about the same thing that happened to us, cried Trot. Was your cavern like this one? I haven't examined this one yet, answered the York. But if they happen to be alike, I shudder at our fate. For the other one was a prison with no outlet except by means of the water. I stayed there all night, however, and this morning I plunged into the pool as far down as I could go, and then swam as hard and far as I could. The rocks scraped my back now and then, and I barely escaped the clutches of an ugly sea monster. But by and by I came to the surface to catch my breath, and found myself here. That's the whole story, and as I see you have something to eat, I entreat you to give me a share of it. The truth is, I'm half-starved." With these words the Ork squatted down beside them. Very reluctantly Cap'n Bill drew another biscuit from his pocket and held it out. The Ork promptly seized it in one of his front claws, and began to nibble the biscuit in much the same manner a parrot might have done. We don't have much grub," said the sailor man, but we're willing to share it with a comrade in distress. That's right," returned the Ork, cocking its head sideways in a cheerful manner, and then for a few minutes there was silence while they all ate of the biscuits. After a while Trot said, I've never seen or heard of an Ork before. Are there many of you? We are rather few and exclusive, I believe was the reply. In the country where I was born we are the absolute rulers of all living things, from ants to elephants." "'What country is that?' asked Cap'n Bill. "'Arkland.' "'Where does it lie?' "'I don't know exactly. Uh, you see, I have a restless nature for some reason. While all the rest of my race are quiet and contented arks and seldom stray far from home. From childhood days I love to fly long distances away, although father often warned me that I would get into trouble by doing so. It's a big world, Flipper, my son, he would say, and I've heard that in parts of it live queer two-legged creatures called men, who are upon all other living things, and would have little respect for even an ark. This naturally aroused my curiosity and after I had completed my education and left school, I decided to fly out into the world and try to get a glimpse of the creatures called men. So I left home without saying goodbye, an act I shall always regret. Adventures were many, I found. I sighted men several times, but have never before been so close to them as now. Also I had to fight my way through the air for I met gigantic birds with fluffy feathers all over them, which attacked me fiercely. Besides, it kept me busy escaping from floating airships. 
In my ramblings I had lost all track of distance or direction, so that when I wanted to go home I had no idea where my country was located. I've now been trying to find it for several months, and it was during one of my flights over the ocean that I met the whirlpool and became its victim." Trot and Cap'n Bill listened to this recital with much interest, and from the friendly tone and harmless appearance of the Ark they judged he was not likely to prove so disagreeable a companion as at first they feared he might be. The Ark sat upon its haunches, much as a cat does but used the finger-like claws of its front legs almost as cleverly as if they were hands. Perhaps the most curious thing about the creature was its tail, or what ought to have been its tail. The queer arrangement of skin, bones, and muscle was shaped like the propellers used on boats and airships, having fan-like surfaces and being pivoted to its body. Cap'n Bill knew something of mechanics and observing the propeller-like tail of the Ark, he said, "'I suppose you're a pretty swift flyer?' "'Yes, indeed. The Arks are admitted to be kings of the air.' "'Your wings don't seem to amount to much,' remarked Trot. "'Well, they're not very big,' admitted the Ark, waving the four hollow skins gently to and fro. "'But they serve to support my body in the air, while I speed along by means of my tail.' Still, take it together, I'm very handsomely formed, don't you think?" Trot did not like to reply, but Cap'n Bill nodded gravely. "'For an ark,' said he, "'you're a wonder. I've never seen one afore, but I can imagine you're as good as any.' That seemed to please the creature, and it began walking around the cavern, making its way easily up the slope. While it was gone, Trot and Cap'n Bill each took another sip from the water-flask to wash down their breakfast. "'Why, here's a hole, an exit, an outlet!' exclaimed the Ark from above. "'We know,' said Trot. "'We found it last night.' "'Well, then, let's be off,' continued the Ark, after sticking its head into the black hole and snipping once or twice. "'The air seems fresh and sweet, and it can't lead us to any worse place than this.' The girl and the sailor man got up and climbed to the side of the ark. "'We'd about decided to explore this hole before you came,' explained Cap'n Bill. "'But it's a dangerous place to navigate in the dark, so wait till I light a candle.' "'What is a candle?' inquired the ark. "'You'll see in a minute,' said Trot. The old sailor drew one of the candles from his right side pocket and the tin matchbook from his left pocket. When he lighted the match, the Ark gave a startled jump, and eyed the flame suspiciously. But Cap'n Bill proceeded to light the candle, and the action interested the Ark very much. "'Light,' it said somewhat nervously, "'is valuable in a hole of this sort. The candle is not dangerous, I hope?' "'Sometimes it burns your fingers,' answered Trot. "'But that's about the worst it can do. Except, except to blow out when you don't want it to. Cap'n Bill shielded the flame with his hand and crept into the hole. It wasn't any too big for a grown man. But after he had crawled a few feet it grew larger. Trot came close behind him, and then the Ark followed. Seems like a regular tunnel, 
muttered the sailor-man, who was creeping along awkwardly because of his wooden leg. The rocks, too, hurt his knees. For nearly half an hour the three moved slowly along the tunnel, which made many twists and turns, and sometimes slanted downward and sometimes upward. Finally Cap'n Bill stopped short, with an exclamation of disappointment, and held the flickering candle far ahead to light the scene. "'What's wrong?' demanded Trot, who could see nothing, because the sailor's form completely filled the hole. "'Why, we've come to the end of our travels, I guess,' he replied. "'Is the hole blocked?' inquired the Ork. "'No, it's worse nor that,' replied Cap'n Bill sadly. "'I'm on the edge of a precipice. Wait a minute, and I'll move along and let you see for yourselves. Be careful, Trot, not to fall.' Then he crept forward a little, and moved to one side, holding the candle so that the girl could see to follow him. The Ork came next, and now all three knelt on a narrow ledge of rock, which dropped straight away and left a huge black space, which the tiny flame of the candle could not illuminate. "'Hmm,' said the Ork, peering over the edge. "'This doesn't look very promising, I'll admit.' But let me take your candle, and I'll fly down and see what's below us." "'Aren't you afraid?' asked Trot. "'Certainly I'm afraid,' responded the Ork. "'But if we intend to escape, we can't stay on this shelf forever. So as I notice you poor creatures cannot fly, it is my duty to explore the place for you.'" Cap'n Bill handed the Ork the candle, which had now burned to about half its length. The Ork took it in one claw rather cautiously, and then tipped its body forward and slipped over the edge. They heard a queer buzzing sound as the tail revolved, and a brisk flapping of the peculiar wings, but they were more interested just then in following with their eyes the tiny speck of light which marked the location of the candle. This light first made a great circle then dropped slowly downward, and suddenly was extinguished, leaving everything before them black as ink. "'Hi there! How did that happen?' cried the Ork. "'It blew out, I guess,' shouted Cap'n Bill. "'Fetch it here.' "'I can't see where you are,' said the Ork. So Cap'n Bill got out another candle and lighted it, and its flame enabled the Ork to fly back to them. It alighted on the edge, and held out the bit of candle. "'What made it stop burning?' asked the creature. "'The wind,' said Trot. "'You must be more careful this time.' "'What's the place like?' inquired Cap'n Bill. "'I don't know yet, but there must be a bottom to it, so I'll try to find it.' With this the Ork started out again, and this time sank downward more slowly. Down, down, down it went, till the candle was a mere spark, and then it headed away to the left, and Trot and Cap'n Bill lost all sight of it. In a few minutes, however, they saw the spark of light again, and as the sailor still held the second lighted candle, the Ark made straight toward them. It was only a few yards distant when suddenly it dropped the candle with a cry of pain and next moment alighted, fluttering wildly, upon the rocky ledge. "'What's the matter?' asked Trot. 
It bit me, wailed the Ork. I don't like your candles. The thing began to disappear slowly as soon as I took it in my claw, and it grew smaller and smaller until just now it turned and bit me. A most unfriendly thing to do. Oh, oh ouch, what a bite. That's the nature of candles, I'm sorry to say, explained Cap'n Bill with a grin. You have to handle them mighty careful. But tell us, what did you find down there? I found a way to continue our journey, said the Ark, nursing tenderly the claw which had been burned. Just below us is a great lake of black water, which looks so cold and wicked that it made me shudder. But away at the left there's a big tunnel which we can easily walk through. I don't know where it leads to, of course, but we must follow it and find out. Why, we can't get to it, protested the little girl. We can't fly as you do, you must remember. No, that's true, replied the Ark musingly. Your bodies are built very poorly, it seems to me, since all you can do is crawl upon the Earth's surface. But you may ride upon my back, and in that way I can promise you a safe journey to the tunnel. Are you strong enough to carry us? asked Captain Bill doubtfully. Yes, indeed. I'm strong enough to carry a dozen of you, if you could find a place to sit, was the reply. But there's only room between my wings for one at a time, so I'll have to make two trips. All right, I'll go first, decided Captain Bill. He lit another candle for Trot to hold while they were gone and to light the ark on his return to her. And then the old sailor got upon the ark's back, where he sat with his wooden legs sticking straight out sideways. If you start to fall, clasp your arms around my neck, advised the creature. If I start to fall, it's good night and pleasant dreams, said Captain Bill. All ready? asked the ark. Start the buzz tail, said Captain Bill with a tremble in his voice. But the ark flew away so gently that the old man never even tottered in his seat. Trot watched the light of Captain Bill's candle till it disappeared in the far distance. She didn't like to be left alone on this dangerous ledge, with a lake of black water hundreds of feet below her, but she was a brave little girl and waited patiently for the return of the ark. It came even sooner than she had expected, and the creature said to her, your friend is safe in the tunnel. Now then, get aboard, and I'll carry you to him in a chiffy. I'm not sure how many little girls would have cared to take that awful ride through the huge black cavern on the back of a skinny ark. Trot didn't care for it herself, but it just had to be done, and so she did it as courageously as possible. Her heart beat fast and she was so nervous she could scarcely hold the candle in her fingers as the ark sped swiftly through the darkness. It seemed like a long ride to her, yet in reality the ark covered the distance in a wonderfully brief period of time, and soon Trot stood safely beside Cap'n Bill on the level floor of a big arched tunnel. The sailor man was very glad to greet his little comrade again and both were grateful to the Ark for his assistance. "'I don't know where this tunnel leads to,' remarked Cap'n Bill. 
but it surely looks more promising than that other hole we crept through. When the Ark is rested, said Trot, we'll travel on and see what happens. Rested? cried the Ark, as scornfully as his shrill voice would allow. That bit of flying didn't tire me at all. I'm used to flying days at a time without ever once stopping. Then let's move on, proposed Cap'n Bill. He still held in his hand one lighted candle, so Trot blew out the other flame and placed her candle in the sailor's big pocket. She knew it was not wise to burn two candles at once. The tunnel was straight and smooth and very easy to walk through, so they made good progress. Trot thought that the tunnel began about two miles from the cavern where they had been cast by the whirlpool, but now it was impossible to guess the miles traveled, for they walked steadily for hours and hours without any change in their surroundings. Finally Cap'n Bill stopped to rest. "'There's something queer about this ear tunnel, I'm certain,' he declared, wagging his head dolefully. Here's three candles gone already, and only three more left us. Yet the tunnel's the same as it was when we started. And how long it's going to keep up, no one knows. Couldn't we walk without a light? asked Trot. The way seems safe enough. It does right now, was the reply. But we can't tell when we are likely to come to another gulf, or something just as dangerous. In that case we'd be killed before we knew it. Suppose I go ahead, suggested the Ark. I don't fear a fall, you know, and if anything happens, I'll call out and warn you. That's a good idea, declared Trot, and Cap'n Bill thought so too. So the Ark started off ahead, quite in the dark, and hand in hand the two followed him. When they had walked in this way for a good long time, the Ark halted and demanded food. Cap'n Bill had not mentioned food because there was so little left, only three biscuits and a lump of cheese about as big as his two fingers, but he gave the Ark half of a biscuit, sighing as he did so. The creature didn't care for the cheese, so the sailor divided it between himself and Trot. They lighted a candle and sat down in the tunnel while they ate. "'My feet hurt me,' grumbled the Ark. I'm not used to walking, and this rocky passage is so uneven and lumpy that it hurts me to walk upon it. Can't you fly along? asked Trot. No, the roof is too low, said the Ork. After the meal they resumed their journey, which Trot began to fear would never end. When Cap'n Bill noticed how tired the little girl was, he paused and lighted a match and looked at his big silver watch. "'Why, it's night!' he exclaimed. "'We've tramped all day, and still we're in this awful passage, "'which maybe goes straight through the middle of the world, "'and maybe is a circle, "'in which case we can keep on walking till doomsday. "'Not knowing what's before us, as well as we know what's behind us, "'I propose we make a stop now and try to sleep till morning.' "'That will suit me,' asserted the Ark with a groan. "'Oh, my feet are hurting me dreadfully.' And for the last few miles I've been limping with pain. My foot hurts, too, said the sailor, looking for a smooth place on the rocky floor to sit down. Your foot, 
cried the Ork. Why, you've only one to hurt you, while I have four. So I suffer four times as much as you possibly can. Here, hold the candle, while I look at the bottoms of my claws. I declare, he said, examining them by the flickering light, there are bunches of pain all over them. Perhaps, said Trot, who was very glad to sit down beside her companions, you've got corns. Corns? Nonsense! Orcs never have corns, protested the creature, rubbing its sore feet tenderly. Then maybe they're, they're, uh, what do you call them, Cap'n Bill? Something about Pilgrim's Progress, you know. Bunions, said Cap'n Bill. Oh, yes, maybe you've got bunions. It's possible, moaned the Ork. But whatever they are, another day of such walking on them would drive me crazy. I'm sure they'll feel better by morning, said Cap'n Bill encouragingly. Go to sleep and try to forget your sore feet. The Ork cast a reproachful look at the sailor man, who didn't see it. Then the creature asked plaintively, Do we eat now, or do we starve? There's only half a biscuit left for you, answered Cap'n Bill. No one knows how long we'll have to stay in this dark tunnel where there's nothing whatever to eat, so I advise you to save that morsel of food till later. Give it to me now, demanded the Ork. If I'm going to starve, I'll do it all at once, not by degrees. Cap'n Bill produced the biscuit, and the creature ate it in a trice. Trot was rather hungry, and whispered to Captain Bill that she'd take part of her share. But the old man secretly broke his own half-biscuit in two, saving Trot's share for a time of greater need. He was beginning to be worried over the little girl's plight, and long after she was asleep and the Ark was snoring in a rather disagreeable manner, Cap'n Bill sat with his back to a rock and smoked his pipe and tried to think of some way to escape from this seemingly endless tunnel. But after a time he also slept, for hobbling on a wooden leg all day was tiresome, and there in the dark slumbered the three adventurers for many hours, until the Ark roused itself and kicked the old sailor with one foot. "'It must be another day,' said he. End of chapter 3 Chapter 4 Daylight at Last Captain Bill rubbed his eyes, lit a match, and consulted his watch. Nine o'clock. Yes, I guess it's another day, sure enough. Shall we go on? he asked. Of course, replied the Ark. Unless this tunnel is different from everything else in the world, and has no end, we'll find a way out of it sooner or later. The sailor gently wakened Trot. She felt much rested by her long sleep and sprang to her feet eagerly. Let's start, Cap'n, was all she said. They resumed the journey, and had only taken a few steps when the Ark cried, Wow! and made a great fluttering of its wings and whirling of its tail. The others, who were following a short distance behind, stopped abruptly. "'What's the matter?' asked Cap'n Bill. "'Give us a light,' was the reply. "'I think we've come to the end of the tunnel.' Then, while Cap'n Bill lighted a candle, the creature added, 
believe that is true we needn't have wakened so soon for we were almost at the end of this place when we went to sleep the sailor man and trot came forward with a light a wall of rock really faced the tunnel but now they saw that the opening made a sharp turn to the left so they followed on by a narrower passage and then made another sharp turn this time to the right blow out the light cap'n said the ark in a pleased voice we've struck daylight daylight at last a shaft of mellow light fell almost at their feet as trot and the sailor turned the corner of the passage but it came from above and raising their eyes they found they were at the bottom of a deep rocky well with the top far far above their heads and here the passage ended for a while they gazed in silence at least two of them being filled with dismay at the sight but the ark merely whistled softly and said cheerfully that was the toughest journey i ever had the misfortune to undertake oh and i'm glad it's over yet unless i can manage to fly to the top of this pit we are entombed here forever do you think there is room enough for you to fly in asked the little girl anxiously and cap'n bill added it's a straight-up shaft so i don't see how you'll ever manage it were i an ordinary bird one of those horrid feathered things i wouldn't even make the attempt to fly out said the ork but my mechanical propeller tail can accomplish wonders and whenever you're ready i'll show you a trick that is worth while oh exclaimed trot do you intend to take us up too why not i thought said cap'n bill as you'd go first and then send somebody to help us by letting down a rope ropes are dangerous replied the ork and i might not be able to find one to reach all this distance besides it stands to reason that if i can get out myself i can also carry you two with me well i'm not afraid said trot who longed to be on the earth's surface again suppose we fall suggested cap'n bill doubtfully why in that case we would all fall together returned the ark get aboard little girl sit across my shoulders and put both your arms around my neck trot obeyed and when she was seated on the ark cap'n bill inquired how about me mr ark why i think you'd best grab hold of my rear legs and let me carry you up in that manner was the reply cap'n bill looked way up at the top of the well and then he looked at the ark's slender skinny legs and heaved a deep sigh <sighs> it's going to be some dangle i guess but if you don't waste too much time on the way up i may be able to hang on said he already then cried the ark and at once his whirling tail began to revolve trot felt herself rising into the air when the creature's legs left the ground cap'n bill grasped two of them firmly and held on for dear life the ark's body was tipped straight upward and trot had to embrace the neck very tightly to keep from sliding off 
Even in this position the Ork had trouble in escaping the rough sides of the well. Several times it exclaimed, Wow! as it bumped its back or a wing hit against some jagged projection. But the tail kept whirring with remarkable swiftness, and the daylight grew brighter and brighter. It was indeed a long journey from the bottom to the top, yet almost before Trot realized they had come so far, they popped out of the hole into the clear air and sunshine, and a moment later the Ark alighted gently upon the ground. The release was so sudden that even with the creature's care for its passengers, Cap'n Bill struck the earth with a shock that sent him rolling heel overhead. But by the time Trot had slid down from her seat, the old sailor man was sitting up and looking around him with much satisfaction. "'It's sort of pretty here,' said he. "'Earth is a beautiful place,' cried Trot. "'I wonder where on earth we are,' pondered the Ark, turning first one bright eye and then the other to this side and that. Trees there were in plenty, and shrubs and flowers and green turf. But there were no houses. There were no paths. There was no sign of civilization whatever. "'Just before I settled down on the ground, I thought I caught a view of the ocean,' said the Ork. "'Let's see if I was right.' Then he flew to a little hill nearby, and Trot and Cap'n Bill followed him more slowly. When they stood on top of the hill, they could see the blue waves of the ocean in front of them, to the right of them and to the left of them. Behind the hill was a forest that shut out the view. "'I hope it ain't an island, Trot,' said Cap'n Bill gravely. "'If it is, I suppose we're prisoners,' she replied. "'Exactly so, Trot.' "'But even so, it's better than those terrible underground tunnels and caverns.' declared the girl. "'You are right, little one,' agreed the Ork. "'Anything above ground is better than the best that lies underground. So let's not quarrel with our fate, but be thankful we've escaped.' "'We are indeed,' she replied. "'But I wonder if we can find something to eat in this place.' "'Let's explore and find out,' proposed Cap'n Bill. "'Those trees over at the left look like cherry trees.' On the way to them the explorers had to walk through a tangle of vines, and Cap'n Bill, who went first, stumbled and pitched forward on his face. "'Why, it's a melon!' cried Trot delightedly, as she saw what had caused the sailor to fall. Cap'n Bill rose to his foot, for he was not at all hurt, and examined the melon. Then he took his big jackknife from his pocket and cut the melon open. It was quite ripe, and looked delicious, but the old man tasted it before he permitted Trot to eat any. Deciding it was good, he gave her a big slice and then offered the Ark some. The creature looked at the fruit somewhat disdainfully at first, but once he had tasted its flavor, he ate of it heartily as did the others. Among the vines they discovered many other melons, and Trot said gratefully, well, there's no danger of our starving, even if this is an island. Melons, remarked Cap'n Bill, are both food and water. We couldn't have struck anything better. Farther on they came to the cherry trees, where they obtained some of the fruit, 
and at the edge of the little forest were wild plums. The forest itself consisted of nut-trees, walnuts, filberts, almonds, and chestnuts, so there would be plenty of wholesome food for them while they remained here. Cap'n Bill and Trot decided to walk through the forest to discover what was on the other side of it, but the Ark's feet were still so sore and lumpy from walking on the rocks that the creature said he preferred to fly over the treetops and meet them on the other side. The forest was not large, so by walking briskly for fifteen minutes they reached its farthest edge and saw before them the shore of the ocean. "'It's an island, all right,' said Trot with a sigh. "'Yes, and a pretty island, too,' said Cap'n Bill, trying to conceal his disappointment on Trot's account. "'I guess, partner, if the was comes to us, I could build a raft, or even a boat from those trees, so's we could sail away in it.' The girl brightened at this suggestion. "'I don't see the Ark anywhere,' she remarked, looking around. Then her eyes lighted upon something, and she exclaimed, "'Oh, Cap'n Bill, isn't that a house over there to the left?' Cap'n Bill, looking closely, saw a shed-like structure built at one edge of the forest. "'Seems like it, Trot. Not that I'd call it much of a house, but it's a building, all right. Let's go over and see if it's occupied.' End of chapter 4「This week's music is courtesy of Ty Downat, Teenage Rebel, Auto Parts and Junk. We got Auto Parts and Junk. All right, Teenage Rebel, Auto Parts and Junk. And also brought to you by Oblivion's Family Irish Pub and Restaurant. Oblivion's, get obliviated, bring the family. Uh, Oblivion's is just doing takeout orders right now, so don't try and come in for Saturday night dance party, or you will be escorted out by, I don't know, probably whoever's working the door that night to hand out food. They'll say, don't come in, leave. And speaking of leaving, why don't you leave some feedback for the show? Contact us on Facebook or why don't you just go to pgttcm.com, check out what we've got in the back catalog, all the shows that we work on, KZOM, 1130 AM, Oleander, Oregon. Uh, why don't you check out what David Heath's writing about and his various things about Oleander. You can track him down. He's David Heath on Facebook, and he's always writing something new about Oleander. If you want to get the skinny... You want to get the inside scoop? Um, Dave, you should put that stuff on the internet somewhere besides your Insta, Insta, your Facebook feed. The world needs to know about what's going on in Oleander. It's weird. All right, here we go with the next show. And I think it's the Rockford Files Files. And here we go. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Hey, everyone, you're listening to the, the Rockford Files Files. I'm unable to get to the...